you have your Bibles tonight, um, John 15, John 15, we're going to start a series tonight, it'll go on basically for the next three months, basically, about what does it look like to be a fruitful disciple, and tonight's teaching time will basically um, be an introduction to several of, several of us over the next three months, unfolding some of those key thoughts of what it looks like to be a person who follows Jesus. That's a disciple. A disciple uh, is anybody who follows somebody or something to learn how to live. Now, everybody's a disciple. Did you know that? Did y'all know that everybody's a disciple? Some of us don't know who we're following, though. Some of us are just following our friends. Um, some of us are following cultural icons. Some of us are, are following um, not necessarily evil things, but not necessarily redemptive things. What do I mean by that? We're not, it's not like we're saying I'm getting up every day to follow somebody into bad. We're just not following somebody or something that will lead us out of hell and into heaven, out of the snare of Satan and into the hand of God, out of a life that just simply has its purpose in pleasing ourselves into a life that matters for the world. Everybody's a disciple. So over the next few weeks, going to unfold what it looks like to be a fruitful disciple. A disciple is someone who follows someone. And then a fruitful disciple is someone who is bearing fruit out of who they're following. And um, if you've been around East Rock for a while, you'll know this, is, this has been something I've taught in a conference form. And, and I'm really excited about all the, the brothers who will be unfolding this over the course of the next few weeks. If you're impatient... I've been doing it in snippet forms on a podcast. I'm, I'm a few weeks in now. It'd be pretty easy to catch up. And if you're, if you're patient, don't worry. These guys will teach on it better than I have been. Um, but if you're impatient, you can, you can get ahead of the game. But tonight, we're just going to do an introduction. And to do that introduction, we're going to turn our attention to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. As you find your spot there, I'll say this. The very first day that I began to be a conscientious follower of Jesus, I, I can remember it because it, it was the day that everything changed for me. It was March 2nd, 1997. My commitment to receive God's gift through Jesus started that day. And my commitment to literally follow Jesus, and I, I'll never forget, my prayer was this simple. God, you're my daddy, I'm your boy, I want you to lead me. It was just that simple. You're my daddy, I'm your boy. I want you to lead me. I, I didn't know what my next step should be. I know to some of you guys that sounds ridiculous, but not having been raised in church, it, it, I, you know, I didn't have 25 years of, of sort of stuff seeping into me. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. And so I did what, what sounds, this is going to sound crazy. You ready? I got down on my knees beside one of the chairs in my kitchen. And I said, uh, God, I think I'm praying, kind of new at all this, so would you tell me what to do? Um, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and, and I remember praying, I think maybe I should just go to bed because i got to work tomorrow, but I feel like I should do something, so tell me what to do. <laughs> and so uh, I, I stood up, and I know now as the Holy Spirit of God said, grab your Bible. Went in another room, and I had a Bible I read all the time. I pulled out the Bible, 
Where do you start? In the beginning. The beginning, beginning, or what? And I, I credit the Holy Spirit. I opened up to Matthew 1.1. I read every verse. I got to Matthew 6.33, which is the, the next to last verse in the chapter. There's one more verse, verse 34. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first, you know it, the kingdom of God. This is one that hooked me. And his righteousness, his idea of right action. That was the exact way I read that. Seek the kingdom of God and his idea of right action is how my mind read that. And all these things, what things? The, the things I need will be given to me, added to me, supplied for me. I slammed my Bible shut, said a prayer, and went to bed. And the next morning, as soon as I got up, I got up and I thought, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right action. I'm going to trust God to add everything else to me. And I have longed for since that first day to be a follower of Jesus who lives a light where if Jesus was a lemon tree and, you know, and he was the true lemon tree, I want to live a life where I'm so embedded in the true lemon tree that you get lemons out of my life too. I want to bear the same fruit as Jesus. And so over the years, I've, I've just desired to figure out what's the framework of that sort of life. And in this introduction of Fruitful Disciple, that's where I want our journey to begin as we unfold these thoughts. John 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not, excuse me, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, or she, that one it is, that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, read this part together, church, and that your joy may be full. So everything you hear, you got to hear through that lens. What's Jesus' desire for you? That your joy be full. To ask you, to call us, to command you to be fruitful disciples is his invitation to joy. Father, as we open your word, it will take your divine presence to unfold it to us. Open it to our understanding. Open it to our affections. Call us close to yourself. In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. I really have some simple thoughts. Some thoughts that I pray that will encourage you in your journey. And perhaps if, if there's somebody in here that, 
it, that it's never been made this clear to you. Maybe you're like me. You weren't raised in church. Maybe some of these thoughts, will, you'll just be like, wow, I, I, thought, I thought this whole Christianity thing was just about all that I shouldn't do. I want to tell you, Christianity, following Jesus, being a disciple, is more about what you should do than it will ever be about what you shouldn't do. It, it is. Let me say that again. Somebody didn't hear me. It's more about what you should do than it will ever be about what you shouldn't do. This is a call to dynamic, purpose-filled living, passionate living, shameless living, where you go out every day knowing you've got something to do and nothing to be ashamed of in how you do it and who you do it with. Number one, number one, the call to follow Jesus is an invitation to experience divine help. Now, if you, if you happen to be a visitor with us for the first or second time, every series we do something different, and this series, your, your, your sermon outline will be in the bulletin, and so if you haven't got one, it won't be rude to get up and go get one. We don't blame our guest services team. Some people just don't want them, but now you do. I'm, t I'm telling you you want them, but it's, it's, it's deep, deep. There's a lot of stuff in today's bulletin, but uh, there, there's, there's a contextual introduction to John 15, 1 through 11, and there's your outline on a couple of half pages there. Idea number one, the call to follow Jesus is an invitation to experience divine help. Now, let me give uh, just the, the briefest of testimonies. Um, you know, the very first night that I began to walk with Jesus, I, I, I totally understood that I literally could do nothing to please God. I, I really recognized that everything I had ever done, pretty much uh, everything I had done expertly was sin. Like, let me look back over the course of these 25 years. What have you been really good at? Well, I could hit a softball. Big deal, right? Uh, what else could you do? Uh, I could run a trot line, and I got a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can't survive. Okay, but that doesn't really matter either because there will be no need for that sort of thing in eternity. Hmm. What have I been perfect at every time I've ever done it? I mean, oh, I've got it. I am a sinner. I've, I've done that 100% every time I've ever tried it and several times that I wasn't even trying. I'm an expert sinner. So to admit that was no problem, but that very fact made going into Christian life seem impossible to me. If all I've ever been good at is sinning, how will I ever be good at living for God? Fortunately, that very first night, I found an invitation to fellowship, partnership, help, support. I mean, I, I really did feel like God was calling me into a friendship. And a friendship where he's just like, okay, so check it out, man. Tim, I'm omnipotent. I've got all power. I was like, cool. And I'm omniscient. I know what? Everything. Like, cool. And I'm also omnipresent so no matter where you go Tim I can totally be with you and I can be bringing all the stuff I don't know and all the power I have to help you I was like deuces we're good and my faith was truly that simple on March 2nd 1997 you know I, I might not have could, you know, I couldn't quote a lot of scripture but I could tell you that God was everywhere all the time and wanted nothing he couldn't do and wasn't anything he didn't know. And so I was only right here 
And it wasn't much I could do, and it wasn't much I did know. But I'm in relationship with God. I love in John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's already recognizing, like, apart from him, you can do nothing to please him, nothing productive, nothing fruitful, nothing that is, has heavenly worth. You can do a lot of things. Remember I told you I was perfect at sinning. I could sin like a boss without God. But what would I learn to do in this seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I knew that he was inviting me to experience his presence, his fellowship, his divine help. I knew that heaven was saying, I'm right there with you, Tim. And I want you guys to hear this tonight. Some of you guys have been walking with Jesus for a long time, but lately you've been doing it alone. You got a lot of no, but you hadn't had a lot of him. You just need to be reminded that he, he doesn't move. As a matter of fact, he promises that he'll never leave you or what, church? So he doesn't go anywhere, and he doesn't give up on you. you know, I was telling somebody this morning, um, I've told you guys a story. 15, I was engaged one time when I was younger, not to the lady I'm married to, and 15 days before the wedding, I, I, I said, I don't think we should get married. I didn't want to break up. I just I knew we weren't ready to be a married couple, and so it just sounded reasonable to me. But it didn't to her. She'd send out invitations, and you know, they brought a dress, and and, and, and I couldn't get why she was so angry with me. I, I get it now. I'm a little mature, more mature. That girl was mad. Right? And what eventually happened, and she, she told me it was all because of that. She gave up on me, and she parted from me. Right? And so it gave me this impression, like, you can be in a really serious relationship and tell somebody, you know, you need to back off, and it means for them they'll run away. You tell somebody you need to slow down. The cool thing about God is he's like, okay, when you're confused, I'm not. So, so, when, so when it's been going tough for you and you need to back up and assess things, I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not going to give up on you. And somebody needs to hear that tonight. God, God's not going anywhere. He's more faithful than the people who have let you down. So this promise to experience divine help, he said, I'm going to be with you. Let me, let me unfold another verse super quick. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I'll, I'll just throw it on the screen here. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So after I'd been walking with Jesus for a while, I started studying the scriptures and I was doing two things. One at the invitation of my Sunday school teacher, and that was studying the Ten Commandments and see where they went all throughout scripture. And another one was just to start studying the Gospels. I mean, I'd been reading them, but to study the Gospels. And I got here, and, and uh, by this time, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd been walking with the Lord for a little while, and I had learned how to use a concordance. I had learned how to, you know, get these books in our church library and look at Greek words and Hebrew words. I was studying this verse. Let me just show you guys something. Let me put it on the screen for you. It gets to this place in this verse where it says, I will make you. And this, this became one of the most delightful things I saw in Scripture. The, the way you would say that weird-looking, squiggly line word is poeso. He says, I will make you as poeso. God says, poeso. Jesus says, hey, boys, come here, poeso. Now begin to look at some of the definitions for this Greek word. It's I make, manufacture, construct. I do act, cause. Now, if you go back and read Matthew 4.19, let me just, just leave it there for me, Katie, but let, let, me, let me give you some life to this. Jesus calls him and says, hey, hey, fellas, I'm, I'm going. 
y'all come on, go with me. Watch out if you tell Andrew Liggett that. That's another story. Y'all come on and go with me. I'm already saying you're totally not qualified. You're unqualified. You don't know how to do what I'm doing. You're not able to do what I'm doing. You don't even really desire to do what I'm doing. But here's what I'm going to do. As you go along with me, you, you follow me, and I will make you willing. I will manufacture desire. I will construct a new life for you. I will, through you, do things you never imagined being done or even around you. I will act in you. I will act through you. I will act around you. I will cause this life to happen. When he calls these fishermen, these ordinary people to follow him, the promise is, if you stick with me, I'm going to do a work in your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or maybe looking at what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting? Care, cares, I got the best wife in the world. And I love it. I can be honest with her, but sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, I'm honest and she doesn't care. Like she'll say, do you want to do such and such? And I say, no. And then she gives me that mopey wife face or whatever. She begins to put her womanly wiles on me. She, she twinkles her nose like Samantha on Bewitched. And suddenly, with her, whether it's pouty or kissy lips, suddenly my honesty about what I did or didn't want to do is melted. And now I want to do whatever it is she wanted me to do. It's unconfirmed, but she might be a witch. Here's God's promise you as you walk with him. I'm going to change your desires. A lot of people look at walking with God and they're like, I don't even want to do that. I mean, you're telling me like, serve people, love people, share the gospel, give money, humble myself and do acts of service. You're telling me that that like to stop punching people in the face and and uh, maybe change my language and who maybe pursue excellence. You're telling me to love the body of Christ. I don't like none of this package you're throwing at me. I was like, it's okay. You come with me, and I'll construct a new life for you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work in you to change your desire, and I'm going to work through you to change your actions. It's, it's really, a, to, be a, to be a disciple of Jesus is really the invitation to experience divine help in every area of your life, but especially in the areas of following Jesus. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13 through a very, an excellent paraphrase. It says, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. In other words, Paul says, you guys wanted to follow God. You didn't know how to follow God. So I was giving you all some details about following God. And you responded by doing what I told you to do. Now, Paul's gone away. He's writing this letter back to him. And so he says, now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. The visible me you were walking with is what Paul was saying. I want you to transfer that to the invisible God that's walking with you. 
God hasn't moved. Learn to walk with him. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. When you say, yes, I'll follow Jesus, he begins to work in you to lead a life that's going to give him pleasure. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Secondly, we cannot do the disciple life without Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, number one, number one, it's an invitation to divine, to divine uh, help. And so you see that, right? Now I want you to see it from the other side. If you don't take the divine help, you can't do anything. You can't do any of that stuff that pleases him. This is really critical. That statement in John chapter 15, for apart from me, you can do nothing, is really critical. It's an invitation, but also we should see it as a bit of a caution. If you don't receive the invitation, you're going to miss out on that life. I, I, I didn't throw this on the screen because I knew if I did, I'd want to talk on it for a long time. I was going to call your attention to it. You can write a note, check it out later. At the end, at the end of Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about one of these future times when, when he'll be judging things. And it says there, like John, excuse me, Matthew 7, 24, People came to him and said, uh, and they were like, hey. And he says, uh, who are y'all? I don't know y'all. And he says, no, you know us. You know, come on, Jesus. You know me. I was a good person. And they, they only, they named some things they did, and they only named miraculous stuff. They just named miraculous. They don't name like, we, we picked up all the garbage on Front Street. We went and handed out flowers about the fish fry. All that's good stuff. They, they, they went big time. They was like, wow, we, we, we healed the sick. We did only miracle stuff. We spoke prophecy. We done only stuff that you could have done through us. He's like, awesome. Awesome. But I don't know you. So there's this invitation to experience him, and there's this truth. There's this truth that we can't do the disciple life. Even if he uses us to do heaven's work, it won't be disciple life if we do it alone. In other words, he might, I mean, think of the person you can't stand the most. Right? Just think of the person, you know, somebody's thinking Stalin, somebody's thinking Hitler, someone's thinking Barbara Walters. Could they be used of God? Like, you know, you don't hear this at church all the time. You ready? You know one thing I love Hitler for? That's just not a phrase you get to hear all the time. Right? <laughs> hey, what's, hey, let's get together and have coffee and talk about the things we love Hitler for. Here's one thing I love Hitler for. Interstate highways. I love to get out on the interstate and go. So could an evil vessel be used by a holy God to accomplish a good purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you won't do that thing that causes you to have joy in God, causes you to experience him, you won't do that disciple life without Jesus. So let me give you two big frameworks to work with here. Being fruit-bearing is a divine work. God has to be involved. Being fruit-bearing is a divine work. Being fruit-bearing is a divine work done in fellowship with God. In fellowship. 
Can someone be used of God without knowing God? Yes. But where does that person get life and joy? It's when the divine work is done in fellowship with God. Second framework, being fruit-bearing preaches to your own heart. When you know you're walking with God and God is doing stuff in you that you didn't choose and it's, it's making you more like Him and it's making you look at things like He looks at things, that is, that's God preaching to your heart. And so on another day when you feel rotten and crummy, you go, wait a minute. Do I have any historical evidence that Jesus has worked in me? Yes. Hear that heart. Do I have any historical evidence that I have obeyed Him? I pray you say yes. <laughs> Hear that heart. Is there truth has nothing to do with my feelings regarding promises. Yes. Being fruit-bearing preaches to your heart. In 1 John, it says that, that God is greater than your heart. And some days you need to hear that. God is greater than your heart. When you feel rotten about who you are, it doesn't change how good He is to you in Christ Jesus. And one of the best things to do is to live that sort of life where Jesus is working in you and through you. And you can say, I've been walking with the Lord. Here's my evidence. See, some people just have one testimony in the area. They come to church on Sunday. Or here's one of my most, I've written three devotional books, right? But I can't stand it when someone says, I did my devotional. Or I did my devotions. I want to live a devoted life where doing my devotions is just part of being devoted. I want to read every letter my lady has written to me. I want to read everything my God has for me. So you need, you need this evidence. And when you bear fruit, you'll look back some days. Oh, man, I'm going through a tough season. But, but, there's been times in my life where I walk with God. There's truth that it's not connected to my feelings. I'm okay. I, I, my, my heart needs to hear this. Secondly, bearing fruit not only preaches to your heart, it's a witness to the world. <clears throat> See, some folks, just an illustration, if it lands on you, be mad at Jesus, he gave it to me. Some people, this, this is the way I, I say it, they live like hell most of the time. They just live like hell. And then they go to church. And they'll tell someone, I go to church. And they go like, okay. Like, I'll never forget, there was a guy I used to work with, we were talking about God one day, and he says, he goes to church, I says, you You do? You do. And at that point in my life, I won't walk in with the Lord. And he said, I says, where do you go to church? He said, Front Street Baptist Church. I was working with this guy at the power plant. Uh, and at that time, I, I didn't know where Front Street was by the name. He described, I said, oh, yeah, I know exactly where that is. Because the thing was, he, he was greedy and mean and short-tempered and lazy I worked 12-hour shifts at the power plant with him, and he says, I go to church, but he lived like hell. He was very proud that he didn't drink, cuss, gamble, right? But he's very mean-spirited, very stingy, right? And so, so his witness, to me to say, I go to church, it, it just wasn't enough for my lost soul to believe that Jesus had made any difference in him. My lost soul, my lost soul went, well, I hope you catch something over there one day. You see what I'm saying? Uh, if you have been a stingy person and in walking with Jesus you've learned how to be generous, what a testimony. If you're a jerk to your workmates and you, or your schoolmates, right, 
and, and walking with Jesus has tenderized you and changed your language, they'll notice. If when someone asks you to do a crooked deal, you don't, whether you explain it to them or not, right? They'll, they'll wonder why, but you'll know why. I don't do crooked deals because of the Lord. When somebody asks you to, to lie for them on their time card or something, and you, and you just won't because your standards are different. When someone starts that ugly conversation, and it happens a lot with guys where we start talking about women in inappropriate ways, and you check out because you don't want any part of that, people notice. They might even pick on you for it. But that's fruit-bearing. Being fruit-bearing also brings glory to God. Now, if it sounds like I'm being a stick in the mud, I've only used those most prescient examples. What I really want to see us do is rather than sit back and wait, wait for chances to act right, I want us to go looking for ways to act righteous. If there's hungry people, let's go feed them. If there's people who, who need their gas bill paid, we should be looking for a way to help them. If, if there's people who, you know, are cold because they don't have a coat, we should be looking to get them a coat. If there's people who are lost and undone and don't know the living God, we should be the heralds of the gospel. It's not enough just to wait back and say, I'm going to be holy by not being ugly. I want to be righteous because I've gone out to do the will of God proactively. So Jesus would say this in a real succinct way. He says, so you want to know you're my disciples? Abide in my word. Do what I say. Live by my standards. He would say, you want to be sure, if you want your heart to know it, if you want the, your witness to be told, if you want to bring glory to God, then do this. Love each other. And I'm not talking about emotionally. I mean, I rarely just want to pick, I mean, I do sometimes, but rarely do I just want to pick Shannon up and cuddle him like a teddy bear. You know, if I get that feeling, it's usually about Casey. Um, No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sacrificial, benevolent action where we do what God would do, not because we necessarily have warm, fuzzy feelings, but because we want to be like Jesus. So he says, if you, you want people to know you're you really with me, abide my word. You want people to know you're following me, love one another. You want people to know you're my disciples, then you bear the sort of fruit that shows my life is at work in you. Now to me, this is, this is a call. It's a call. It's a call, thirdly, to, to, to realize this. God's presence in us grants us power and it gives us position for a shameless, passionate pursuit of purpose. Katie, just let that one hang there for a little bit. I want to tell a story. I, I hope this testimony doesn't run off anybody who doesn't know me that well because I'm getting ready to be honest and one of those ways is a bit embarrassing. Anybody knows me, knows this about me, but some of you guys don't know me. I just met a couple of y'all tonight. I'm a convicted felon. I'll tell you the, the short version of the whole story. Got in a huge bar fight. And... Um, uh, Problem was, I won. When you win a fight, you're the one the law comes and gets. When you lose, 
Maybe an ambulance gets you or they just feel bad for you and leave you alone. I won. And when the law came and got me, I then got in a police fight. And I don't know, there's this thing the police have called a radio. And they just keep calling people. And they just kept calling people. And they kept coming. And I kept fighting. Have you ever, guys ever seen a football game where one guy's running with a ball and five or six guys get on him? He might carry one, two, three. Eventually, my man's is going down. Well, they brought in people from the, the seats. They had fans on me for it was over with. And they beat the brakes off of me. Put me in the car, took me to the police station, the city police station, strapped me to a chair and beat me again. Then we got into a car where I was going to county lockup over in the town of Halifax in Halifax County. And uh, we, we flipped the car. It, it flipped this away and that away. We flipped and rolled. We looked like an Olympic diver. We did all of it. Bless you. Somewhere in that process, I broke my ankle terribly, broke my collarbone, my wrist, some ribs. I don't know if it was the fighting, the wreck. I think it was all of it. It was kind of a tough package. I um, was in court for months. I was in court for months. I don't know if I wrecked that car. It doesn't seem logical. I was double shackled. Double handcuffed. In the front seat with a seatbelt on with a huge radio device between me. I don't know how I could have touched any of the controls or the police officer, but the car got wrecked and Tim got charged. Now, some people say, how could you swallow that? I was urged by some lawyers to sue the city to appeal my case. It was ramrodded through court. Legally, I didn't have a chance. It doesn't happen as much as CNN wants you to believe it happens, but it happens enough to be common. They stack charges up on you to you're at the point you're, you're glad to take a plea bargain. And that's where I was. I was just glad to take a plea bargain. I had, I, you know, but somebody asked me, how, how do you swallow this? You know how I swallowed it? Because if they had a clue what I was really up to, if they had a clue about the real crimes, I was committing, I would have did 20 years in jail minimum. See, I used to have this kind of life where I went to work every day, but I went to work every night too. And I lived this seedy nightlife that was full of, I mean, you know, it, it's actually sort of applauded in some circles, but I backed gamblers and I, I funded illegal loans. That's very illegal, in case y'all don't know it. And there were some people in my circle who, who dealt drugs, and I was always getting accused of dealing drugs, but I, I wasn't dealing drugs, so I was never worried about getting caught for it. But suddenly, suddenly, I'm being convicted of things I didn't do, and no one's even bringing up the things I did do. And I suddenly felt like I was getting off with something rather than getting convicted of something. And in that jail cell, before I got bonded, I was there for a few days before my family and friends could get the money and stuff together to get me out. I came to a realization that, and this is a tough realization, there's what people are charging me with, there's what people don't have a clue, and there's a God who knows the truth of it all. 
Now, God, you know, it's highly unlikely I flipped that car. God, you know, it's absolutely likely that I lived a very seedy nightlife. Now, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm not following money around. I'm not following pleasure around. I'm not following the high of adventure. That's what I used to really like, the high. I like to be high on adventure. I am a disciple of Jesus. Now, everything I do, I do can be done in the light of day, the light of night. It can be done in front of the smallest child, and it can be done in the most saintly of old ladies. It can be done in front of everybody. I don't have to be ashamed, and I can be very passionate about what God has given me to do. I don't have to be fearful about what a lawman's going to find out because God has given me a whole new life in following Jesus. I, I don't have to be ashamed. I can be passionate. The promise that God gives us in John 15.10 is this. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying this is the sort of life you don't have to be ashamed of. And that's the life God wants for his church. I was joking with a guy at a funeral yesterday. I know that sounds crazy, but. And uh, I was telling him he had a really nice truck. He did. Uh, that thing had, like, these awesome rims on it. And, and I was sort of joking. I said, do you have a sound system? He said, hold on. He turns on, man, that thing would have blow you away. I mean, it was like a hillbilly's dream, man. It was white. I want a black truck instead of a white one. But it had everything, man. He had everything, and, and if you like them ones that they jack them up and then lower them down, he had that too. He just had everything. You know, he, he had that, th he popped the hood, he had everything on it, you know. It, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. And he made this comment. He says, it's what, he lives with his parents, he says, it's what my parents think I paid for it and what I paid for it. Isn't it funny that for a young man, 19, 20 years old, has a truck and he has to even hide how much money he's wasted on his truck from his parents? I want to live this kind of life where I know God knows and I'm not embarrassed for anybody else to know. That's a fruitful disciple. I'm out here living for the Lord. I'm not hiding anything from anybody. I went to the Apple store recently. I have a loner phone. Isn't that cool? And the guy says, he says, open it for me. I says, all you got to do is push the button. He was appalled. He was appalled. He says, you don't have a fingerprint do wacky on it? I said, no. He says, you don't have a password on it? He said, no. He says, well, what if someone saw what was in it? I said, well, they would find out I have played sand this game. What's it called? It's called sandballs. They would find out I've played it an embarrassingly long time. And if it records how many times I opened up ESPN last Sunday when I wanted the Cowboys to win and Philadelphia to lose, that would be a little embarrassing. Otherwise, you might find it odd that I have a, a, a bath and, and body work app. I like their soaps. Get over it. Um, 
And the guy asked me, he says, he looked, he says, what about your, your banking thing? I says, well, it's got a password on it. He says, oh, so you do have things to hide. I says, no, you can't get the app without putting a password on it. I don't have anything to hide. It'd be dumb to give him my password, right, to that. But I, don't have any, I said, you know, what, do you want to see it? He says, no. The guy says, I've been working here 12 years. You're the first person that laid your phone in front of me didn't have a password on it. I said, you must not work with people much. It's just a dumb illustration. When you are walking with God, the life he wants for you is a life you can be passionate about and that you don't have to be ashamed of. You can get a silly illustration. Like, I don't know what your truck is. You know, maybe somebody in here, you'd be ashamed for people to know, uh, or me and Casey was joking, how much coffee you've bought. What's your coffee bill? <laughs> He's testifying it's millions of dollars. Or, 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 I'm not even talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about that kind of stuff where you say, I, it's not what I'm hiding I've gone to do. I'm excited about what I plan to go do, and I'm not hiding it from anybody. I plan to go live for Jesus. Last but not least, and super quick, the point of all this, being a fruitful disciple, is realizing that God desires great joy for you. See, this is not the bummer life. Um, I can't believe my brother spoke out in church right then, but he's, he's got, and, and you know, David, really forgive me if I overstep his bound, my bounds, but his wife died a few years ago. And his children are grown, and he has one grandchild, and his grandchild is grown. I mean, the moral of this story is he's old. So he was just asking me and my wife last night, he's like, okay, you guys, your kids are getting grown. Do you guys know what you're going to do next? I mean, that's a pretty legit question when you're at a certain phase of life, isn't it? What are you, I, I don't know what Kara was thinking. I didn't let her answer. I was like, we're going to do ministry. We're going to use our house. We're going to invite people over. We're going to serve the Lord in our local church. There's no sense of emptiness in a fruitful disciple's life because God wants us to have great joy in Him, great joy in His people, and great joy in His work. And He's not calling us to this stuff to be a bummer in our life. He's calling us to this stuff because this is the pathway to joy. So, it's a great question, and I thank God my brothers got me thinking, but my answer hasn't changed in 24 hours, David. What are we going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. Our home is going to be a place where we invite people to serve the Lord and enjoy the Lord. We're going to serve this local church. I mean, I'm not going to be an empty nester because I've got children for the Lord anyway. i got sheep and kids. Why does God call you to this life? Because he wants you to have great joy. So how can you respond? How should you reflect? on this message. Let me just give you some thoughts that might shape your personal response. Being devoted is more than being devotional, and God calls us to a life of walking with Him 24-7, 365, or in 2020, 366. Mm-hmm. Being in relationship is more than knowing information. This life He invites us to is to embed ourselves in Him as divine so that our lives become so intermingled that to live is to bear the fruit of his likeness. Being informed doesn't mean we're transformed. There's a lot of people that know stuff, but it hasn't changed them. And what he offers is a relationship 
that gives you a desire for change, growth, and fruit. And he promises, if you walk with me, I'll give you the power for those desires. Being a friend is more powerful than being a fan. You ever thought about that? A lot of, a lot of religious folks here in the South are just fans. They're just fans of, of God. But what he calls you to is to be his friend, to walk with him, to know him, to discover he really does have a pathway that's unique just for you. He has a family, an eternal family that will support you in life. He has a table that he plans to seat you at as a special guest. He will wed his church to his son. We will enjoy God forever. But a fan just sits and watches the action till the last whistle is sounded or the, the curtain closes. And then because they don't know the team, they don't know the, the talent, they're left to just exit because the show's over. I want to be a friend of Jesus. Amen? Over the next 11 weeks, 12 weeks, counting this week, we're going to talk about some words that unfold what it looks like to be a disciple, a person who follows Jesus, and a fruitful disciple. Tonight's introduction, if I could get you to get one thing from it, it's this. The invitation is to experience God's power, to find the path he has for you, to realize your position in him, to let his power work in and through you so that you have purpose in life that you can be passionate about without being ashamed of. I want to be a fruitful disciple. How about you? Father, thank you for an opportunity to unfold your word just a bit tonight. Here in the coming weeks and months at East Rock, we ask you to make us people who passionately walk with you. You tell us in your word how serious you are about people following you. You're, you're so serious that, that you tell us to take up our cross. That there's, no, there's no promise that it'll be easy. As a matter of fact, you promise it'll be difficult. But you also promise to never leave nor forsake us. So call East Rock Community Church. Call every portion and part to fresh fellowship with you. And God, lead us to places of joy because of it. Your desire is not to beat us up, but to bring us in. Your desire is to use us in friendly fellowship. And it'll be for our good. It'll be a good witness, and it'll be for your glory. Make us fruitful disciples. In Jesus I pray, amen.